Hey, Chad. Hey, come on. So, uh, listeners can just read the title of the episode so they know this is our Matrix episode. Yeah. I want to run a bit by you because I was going to open and I was thinking about it all day and it's like, you know, this is going to be a fun talk tonight, but I want to open with a funny bit. And I, I, I knew oh, exactly what I was going to do. I was thinking about it all day. And then on the drive home from work, I kind of realized this isn't a funny bit. Mm. So I want your opinion. I'm told it's cheap. It is, as most of them are. Uh, I was going to open with like the Daft Punk Tron soundtrack. And I was going to like kind of do that opening monologue from Tron 2, but change it slightly so that it was half about the Matrix and half about opinions are cheap running gags. Okay. And the joke would be that we're doing a Tron episode, and then I act confused when you correct me and say it's a Matrix episode. And it's like, you know what? I think I'm way overthinking this, and also no one will recognize it because no one saw Tron 2. Yeah, see, I've never seen Tron 2. I don't even know if I've seen Tron 1. So you wouldn't have even played off of it, right? No, no, it would have been... I I like where your heart is because it's dish and weird and, like, there's a big setup for no punchline and sometimes jokes like that really tickle my fancy. Uh, I don't think I would have been able to play along very well, though. I think it would have been a little disappointing to to the listeners who come here for jokes that... I mean, I don't don't know why they come here. Our jokes are always terrible, but what are you going to do? So just a uh, classic cold open for opinions are cheap with Cameron and Chad. I want I okay. I'll open real quick with something. Um, okay. Have you seen the show Leave It to Beaver? Yeah. Okay, so you know, like he's the Beaver, and his last name is Cleaver. So, as a gift for like either Mother's Day or or Christmas or or my mom's birthday, she's wanted like a kind of a nice Cleaver for a while, and she brought it up the other day, and I was like, that's such a boring gift. And I was talking to my brother, and I was like, you know what would be funny is if we got her, like, a really nice one, one of those, like, Japanese ones that you see advertised on TV, like, this is the pro cleaver, this will cut anything in half, even even your husband. And then I take it to work, and I laser etch the beaver's face on it on one side, and then the beaver cleaver on the other side, and then give her that as, like, a gift. That that would be really, really funny to me. Yeah, I like that. And what's great about that is, is I don't think she would actually think that's very funny. She would just be like, why did you just like deface a really expensive cooking utensil? And the answer is because this is really funny to me. <laughs> so I got to go talk to the laser guy at work tomorrow <laughs> and see if he'd be willing to do this. <laughs> I love it, though. That's Isn't that funny. Uh, it is. It's so stupid. Also... Coworker gave me more bourbon to try, so I'm trying border right now. Um, it's okay. That's fun. I'm drinking some uh, Captain Morgan. I like coconut. I like coconut rum. I'm giving it a seven. It's definitely better than Larceny and Maker's Mark and Jack Daniels. Okay, but it's like. It's called Border. I've had it before, I think. It's just been a while. And it's like, it, it tastes fine. It tastes nice. It doesn't do anything particularly special. It just kind of is like, you know what? We're reliable. We're here. The thing is, I'm pretty sure this is like 28 or $29 a bottle. And I can get like a lot better for cheaper. So that's my, yeah. that's my little bourbon review. Sky said he never saw the Hobbit movies. Good for him. 
I have to explain that you have to watch the extended cut because it's paced better. Is the extended cut where like someone crammed all all the movies into like four hours? No, um, the extended cut was like three and a half hours for part one. Oh, but the the problem with the theatrical cut was they they removed things that were either not entertaining or um, didn't progress the plot enough. Which means that it's like you, you know how with like a roller coaster you kind of want ups and downs, yeah. And this didn't have those ups and downs, so it's like it was like a Rube Goldberg device where it's like oh, now they're in barrels going down a river, and oh, now they're in a cave, they're rolling down a cave, and the uh, goblins got them, and then they, oh, they skip the goblins, they're running away from the goblins. And it's like no, there there's actually scenes in between the action bits where it's like you get to know the characters better, and it feels like a journey rather than just a series of random events. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the the whole the, that was a disaster. The that whole production it's just one we bad decision get, after another. Del Toro was supposed to do it, and he wanted to do something different and weird and Del Toro e and whimsical. And then the studio was like, "No," and that's a shame because I think his version of these movies would have been really cool. Yeah, I would love to see a different version of that world. Uh, not that we don't need the Peter Jackson ones, but it's like, I feel like books get adapted interestingly. Have you ever seen the animated Hobbit movie? I've seen bits and pieces of it. There's things about it that are really interesting and really cool. Actually, the Lord of the Rings animated one, uh, they, they did this weird effect in one of the movies where uh, the orcs were actually live action. And they were like silhouettes. So it blended with the cartoon, but that way they're able to get like an army. So it's like, instead of paying animators to do all this unnecessary detail, it's like, well, no, we'll just have live action cartoon cutouts and it will add to like the volume of what's going on while the cartoon characters are in the foreground. And it's just a very interesting effect. Speaking of very interesting effect, do you want to talk about the Matrix? All of them? Yeah, those are known in that, right? Yeah. I don't I don't know where you, do we want to just begin with the first movie and work our way down? Do we want to do like a broad strokes on the the whole series like how do you want to tackle this cuz there's a lot to talk about with each movie. They're very dense, they're very um Artur, I guess if you want to call it. I mean, they're very much Wachowski movies. They're iconic, they're strange, they're a little messy. Like there's there's places we can go. Hmm. So, uh, have you ever seen a Matrix movie? Yes. I haven't. What? So, I've never seen a Matrix movie. Is this a bit? No, it's just kind of like Avatar, where it's so popular that it gets referenced in pop culture enough that I can make jokes and pretend I've seen it without having to sit down and watch it. Dude, I wrote like 1,500 words of notes before we started. You haven't even seen these fucking films? No, I haven't. So I want to, before we have a discussion, I want to walk through my understanding. And I'm curious how much I'm missing <laughs> and how much I'm spot on. You're fucking troll. Oh, my God. No. 
No, this is what I, we, we, I, I mentioned this when you mentioned the Matrix. I said this will be interesting because I've never seen them before. So we'll have a fun talk. And you said, yeah, I, I assume you were going to watch them uh, beforehand because I was getting ready to rewatch oh. all of them and prep for the new one. Oh, I'm not I'm not mad. So, I'm not disappointed. I am a little flabbergasted, but I'm also laughing. So proceed. My understanding is that in the future, uh, machines are using people as objects. And part of that involves the like humans need to be like alive to be beneficial to the machines. So they're kept in like a hologram world where they just live through what they perceive to be a natural life. Um, and that keeps them like placated and asleep. And so there's something to do with how like some people are capable of not only realizing that they're in a dream, but also manipulating it to their benefit where they can fight back against the machines um, from within the hologram world. But also there is a real world where they have to make sure that they don't get killed while they're just sleeping bodies laying there. So there's like layers to how dangerous it is. You're, you're and really close. There's elements of not knowing what's real or not, but it's mostly about um like expanding your mind and overcoming doubt. I, okay, thematically that's actually pretty on point. You're not you're 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 really close. There's there's a lot you got right. Um do you want to keep going or should I step in? Uh, so the other element that's important is it's an excuse for a lot of experimental and clever new action things that became tropes because they were so good and so striking that everyone else tried to emulate them. That That's a fact. I think that's everything I know about The Matrix. Okay. Oh, I so also I guess- know that The Matrix online game is technically canon. And also, uh, Morpho dies in that game, and that's why he was dead in the in the fourth movie. Okay, that I didn't know, but I believe it. So I guess did you to play the Unreal the Engine beginning. Five preview? I did not. Okay, had to take another drink. So you're you're pretty <laughs> close. The, the idea is in the in the future, humans invent AI robots. They don't get along. They go to war. Uh, the robots run on solar energy. And so to basically end the war, the humans destroy kind of the environment and, and kick up so much shit in the sky, they black out the sun. And so as the war progresses, the robots eventually enslave humans. They win and keep us satiated in these pods while, while their minds are in the matrix, this you know fake version of the world. And then they get energy from human bodies. And so they basically farm humans as batteries. Which I know biologically doesn't make any sense because it would take way more energy to power a human than it would to get out of a human. But that's sort of your basic setup. The The people in, are all in the Matrix. And when you start to realize you're in it or you find someone who is tapping in, they can help you wake up. They give you either a cha- choice. It's a blue pill or a red pill. The red pill wakes you up and you see the world for what it is. You actually physically wake up in your pod and you are now in the real world and they have to go find you. And so the movie takes place in the Matrix and then it takes place in the dystopian future where robots have have basically destroyed the planet and humans are underground. There's like a single city left called Zion. 
So there's there's your setting. Um, the humans are ostensibly at, still at war with the robots. They're trying to free people. They're trying to create more of a community. But obviously what they can do is really, really small. There's a prophecy that uh, Morpheus believes in, that, he's, that he heard in the Matrix, that there will be the one, Neo, who will come along and end the war somehow. And so when he finds Neo, he thinks, oh, I've, I've found the one. This guy will end the war. He is this prophetic entity that has been, you know, uh, talked about for ages. That, that he's, he's the chosen one kind of thing. And that's why they, they go after Neo, wake him up. And so then a lot of the progression of the movie is, you know, in and out of the Matrix. The stuff in the Matrix is ostensibly like a war with, uh, you could almost say with the concept itself of like this this fake world that doesn't exist, but also kind of against the programming of the Matrix uh, and of the robot army. Like the Agent Smith, he starts out, he is basically like an antivirus program that is trying to get rid of the people that jack in and, and, and wake other people up. And because he's an antivirus program, the agents are undefeatable unless you're the one, in which case you can control the Matrix to a, a crazy degree where you have like superpowers. And that's sort of the climax to the first movie is Neo fighting Agent Smith, dodging bullets, actually stopping them with his mind and then moving so fast that the agent can't fight him. They have a crazy kung fu fight and he wins. And then at the end, he could fly because he's like so in control of his mind and his body in the Matrix that the rules of physics do not apply. And that's how the first movie ends. Okay. So the now, first movie doesn't actually end with like a, a conclusion to war as much as like, I am the one. Yeah. It, it's, I and can't it's remember like an the important exact... first step or something. Right. I mean, it ends, there's a satisfaction to the ending. Cause there's a, I'm sure a huge, the, the movies are really like, dense with uh philosophy whether it's good philosophy or not kind of is beside the point but it's there there's a lot of like very overarching themes on like um finding love you know doing not so much being like the prophetic hero but making your own choices and being your destiny so like neo doesn't believe himself they go see this this character called the oracle who is you know can see the future to a degree and she's like you're not the one morpheus is wrong but he believes you are and you're gonna have to deal with this and, and so he has to like become this character he, he he's not just given powers he has to work his way into them and basically like become the thing people want him to he it's it's a choice he has to make because the, the the movie is ultimately about making choices um because the wachowskis are directing it like it's it's very it's very dense it's very uh loud and, and flashy like there's so many crazy action scenes that you said they're very iconic they're very um groundbreaking at the time and we've seen matrix parodies literally since then like i can go watch a new movie that probably came out this year and see someone do something that was in the first matrix movie in, in, back in like 1999 so on fortnite um for christmas they gave everyone a matrix a skin for your gun so it's black with all the green letters and also a sentinel that you can hang from as your glider so like sentinels flying in but you're hanging under it that's kind of neat yeah and it's like well that's kind of neat but they also sell an emote and one of the emotes is that thing trinity does in the trailer where she like jumps up and it like stops and the camera pans around while it's like no movement 
Yeah. And then time starts again and she kicks two people. And I'm I, I'm literally I'm looking at all the Matrix promos and all the Matrix stuff and I'm watching this animation and I'm like, oh, that's that thing Fiona did in Shrek. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, that was from the Matrix. What's kind of fun about rewatching the first movie is it's very it's very cheesy. Like I think even then it was kinda cheesy, but like by today's standards it really is even though it invented a lot of the things it's doing. Like, that scene itself is so fucking goofy because it's so over-the-top and, like, anime-inspired. But it's so iconic. Like, I've seen that parodied all over the place. Like you said, Shrek did it. I, I, I'm i sure, like, dozens of movies have done it, dozens of video games have done it, comedy skits have done it. Like, it's just... It's become, like, this integral piece of, like, pop culture... I think a lot of really, things yeah. in that movie did. It, it's crazy how influential that movie was and just how fucking groundbreaking it was. And when I first saw it, I was in like middle school. And like this was like the first thing that I ever watched that had like philosophy in it that I knew it was like this movie is talking about stuff. It has things to say. It's very explicitly about things. I didn't understand what most of them were, but I knew it was here. Like this movie was, wasn't just a movie. This wasn't like your Disney movie. This thing was like, no, this is like... When people talk about those crazy cinema and film, like, this is that. Uh, and so it was my first exposure to that. I think it's probably a lot of people's first exposure to that, especially if they were, like, with my age. I think what's one of the reasons why it's held in such high regard and why it's so fondly mem- remembered is it was really eye-opening. And, like, the, the first time we saw any of these, like, big brain ideas in a, in a thing at all. And then also it was really well executed. Like, it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah, I do hear that a lot. Um, the The first one was it color graded? So in the um, in the real world, no. And in the Matrix, there's like this kind of green sheen over everything. So that's not the launch or the not launch. That's not the theatrical version. No, I mean I I saw they went back when and, I watched it. I had the old 480p yeah. DVD from 2000 whenever because i i think they went back and did that after the sequels were like like once it was successful and they're like hey we're gonna make three of these i think they went back and color graded the first one so that it would line up with the art direction they wanted it to go in i can see that i was just curious i again i know these little random details (laughs) so it's very funny because it's like i know that they have blue skin and ride dinosaurs and they and before going into battle they say Sevaco, but I can't quote a single line from the movie Avatar. Sure, and it's just like it's funny because like with Matrix, it's similar, but it it's actually culturally important enough that I can quote a lot more from it, and I can recognize things a lot faster than an Avatar reference. Yeah, that makes sense. I've um, actually never I never saw yeah, it in also, theaters. I saw like, it. it was like the first I, DVD we ever I, bought. I. That's fun too. I love those memories. My first DVD was Spaceballs. That checks out. It was cool too because it came with uh, the DVD was two sided, and one side was standard, and the other was widescreen. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that did happen, didn't it? That was that was always kind of neat. Yeah, it's just it's one of those little details that I'm gonna have to explain to like like grandkids where it's like no 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 it wasn't just on a disc you had to pick what size or like what shape your tv was and put it in the right disc um a couple other things that, that i, I kind of feel like i should mention with this movie 
uh, I think it was like the first time, like going back and watching it, it's probably like the one of the first really big budget movies that was clearly influenced by anime. And I think that's really cool. Like like the fight scenes and stuff, uh, some of the direction, like, or, or just even some of like the dialogue. It's You could tell the Wachowskis liked anime and wanted to put some of the things that make anime anime in this movie. And I know like as we go forward in time, like, I'm I'm seeing more cartoons and things that are clearly influenced by like Dragon Ball Z and some of the animes I liked. So it's becoming more common. But back then, like, it was not, to my knowledge, anyways. And as the movies progress and go to the third one, they get kind of more and more anime until like the final fight in the last movie is basically like a Dragon Ball Z fight. They're not shooting lasers, but they're flying around, they're punching each other through buildings and shit like that, and then like they're the rain is like changing directions because they're flying so fast and it's so goofy and over the top. But by then they've built into it and you're just like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing, but I'm, I'm here for it. And that's really fun. And also the way the machines and humans like that concept is set up. It's so there's a certain level of like basic bitch philosophy to it, but it's executed so well that it, it always feels relevant and it's so it, these are movies you can kind of like philosophically read a lot into or a little depending on how how you want to approach them and i know when i was rewatching this it's like oh it's it's humans versus the machines but the machines are like the internet and social media and like you know we're, we're the things we're still slaves to right like it's set up in such a way that i feel like it will always be kind of culturally relevant no matter what year it is and i think that's really really brilliant yeah. I think I've heard that before, too. Are we still only talking about Matrix 1, or did we move into, like, the trilogy? So, I can move into the uh, the next ones if you'd like, but this is this is all largely so, uh, been Matrix 1. Yeah. I, I'm just curious about, like, I, one thing that I've heard from other people is that 2 and 3 felt kind of samey, and, like, the, the first movie was a lot better and smarter, and the other two were more excuses for action and maybe less satisfying um i want to say yes and no to that they're i I don't think two and three are samey they're actually pretty different um okay two two i i want to say two doubles down on some of the philosophical stuff to the point where when i first watched it back in 2003 or 2004 i didn't get a lot of what was going on i liked the action because there's a lot of it and there's honestly maybe too much and some of it goes on too long even though I would say every action scene in Matrix Reloaded is super iconic and there's something really cool. Um, but there is a lot of fighting. At the same time, it takes a lot of the lore of the first movie, especially like the idea of the Matrix people being plugged in and really expands on it in ways that I think are awesome and kind of like what you naturally want from a sequel. So they're now in the Matrix and they're not just dealing with humans that are like, you know, plugged in or or agents that are like antiviruses trying to stop them they're dealing with actual programs that run the matrix like these are all anthropomorphized programs that control things and they're trying to get information out of them and they're trying to get stuff that they can take into like the real world because there's an overlap the humans are connected like more than just physically to the matrix like you find out there's actually just a little bit more and that becomes fairly important as the movie goes on and then the third movie and it works really well Agent Smith is defeated in the first. He comes back in the second, but now he's a computer virus that hates being in the Matrix, and he's now a computer virus 
instead of being an antivirus, he's a, he's a, a computer virus. He can take over people and duplicate himself. He can uh, screw with the real world. It, it, he can do a lot more. So he becomes like this crazy threat. But he's not just a threat towards Neo and, and Trinity and them. He's a threat towards like the whole fabric of this online system. And that's really cool. Uh, you learn that like anytime oh humans ever encountered like a ghost or a uh, werewolf or a vampire, like that was a glitch in the matrix. Those things are real. They're just like programs that have fucked up or or systems that stopped working correctly. And so the threats are a little different in the second movie in a way that I think is a great natural okay. progression to them. Um, what we find out the big the big plot of the second movie is that the robots have found where Zion is and they're basically heading there to destroy Zion. And so all the ships are called back, but Morpheus thinks that there's something they can do within the Matrix that can stop this. He's not sure what, but the Oracle told him, and Oracle, obviously, the, the future seer. So he wants to go talk to her. And so it becomes this kind of race to figure out, like, how can we stop the robot invasion? And, and what can we do within the Matrix that can maybe help us outside of it? And from a plot perspective, I really like that. I, I Honestly, Matrix Reloaded might be the best one, uh, despite being probably 15 minutes too long. Uh, which, hello Wachowskis, that's kind of what they do. <laughs> so, on point. Um, they end up finding the program that like literally is the Matrix or the creator of it. And like the part of the ending is this like crazy long conversation between Neo and the architect about what the Matrix is, what its role is, what humanity's role is for, 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 for Zion and for the robots. And the, the big spoiler thing is that you find out Every so often, the robots find Zion and destroy it, and everything gets rebooted from scratch. Because there's just something about the Matrix that doesn't quite work because of human the way humans react. Like, we eventually get too comfortable, we realize that we're in a program, there's a revolt, and so there's periodically like this reset, and that involves killing all the humans that are except a couple, because... It needs to exist. This idea that you can escape the Matrix needs to be a thing or the fabric doesn't work. Like, it's a flawed program that he has made. And it's really cool. Like, the idea of, like, programs being alive. Like, AI being this this thing that is just inherently existing and is programs within programs, right? Like, it's such a forward-thinking movie that I didn't get it when it first came out. And I really got it now, I think. Or at least I understood, like, all the plot points. I wasn't confused because I'm not a child anymore. But, like... It held up so well, and it was such a fun watch. Like I, I can't believe you haven't seen these. I don't know; they look boring. Admittedly, my dad has never stayed awake through an entire Matrix movie, despite trying a handful of times. So, I what I like is, and I've heard this from other people too. But when you get into like the the more deeper film elements of the movies, it's like, yeah, these are well made movies. Yes, it's just like. Um, there's something about, I, I, it, I don't know exactly how to pinpoint it. There's something about punching people in front of a green screen that my brain turns off. Okay. And I like more recently, um, like I still haven't seen the most recent Spider-Man movie, even though Spider-Man's my favorite and Willem Dafoe is my favorite and Doc Ock is my favorite and Tobey Maguire is my favorite and Dr. Strange is my favorite. It's like, wow, they got all these characters in the movie. And I watched the trailer, and it's like, this just looks like a green screen. And I kind of fall asleep. It's like, I just can't get into it. And it's not the cheesiness, because I love cheesy. 
I yeah. like to watch like, you know, these like terribly staged Kung Fu movies where that's not real fighting. It's like choreographed, but it's not on a green screen. <laughs> I would say it's just, like the Matrix definitely makes use of green screen, but you're also talking about like late 90s, early 2000s. There were there's a lot of practical effects in here. It, it's a lot of like green screen augmented with practical effects and a lot of those effects still hold up really well like every time you see a like the sentinels which are like the big robot enemies that they are running from like those are models the nebuchadnezzar when you see outside shots of the ship it's not it, it is a model that's enhanced by you know 3d stuff stuff that happens now but it's pretty much all 3d now with a little bit model versus this is like mostly model with some 3d like because the 3d at the time just wasn't you know, the CGI stuff, it, it just wasn't there. Like, it had to be practical to look good. And so, visually, these movies all hold up really, really well. That is good. Um, so, the, the, the second movie ends with um, Neo's outside of the Matrix. They're about to get attacked by a Sentinel, this robot kind of squid-looking thing. And he... He's able to shut it down basically with his mind. He's like, you know, he is he's become the one. He is turning into this this person in the prophecy. And uh I remember there was there was some backlash to this, especially over the years, the idea that, oh, he should have been like in another layer of the matrix and they're actually still asleep, and that was the thing, because why would he have powers in real life? But the the movie, if you pay attention, actually seeds this idea that the Matrix can physically affect people in real life. Like, he's not the first person to do that in this movie. He's just the most overt example. And as this, because, like, some of the big themes are kind of like, you know, love wins in the end and hope and, like, this, the the sort of fluffy, uh, fluffy things you expect in, in these kinds of, maybe not these kinds of stories, but in, in, Stories where the good guys win, right? Like you're fighting this hopeless fight, but you know you're gonna win because you're you're with your your significant other or your girlfriend, and then like things are gonna work out. You know there will be a rainbow at the end of this journey. Like the the Wachowskis are very romantic and and how they write and direct. And so when I rewatched the movies, I had no problems with with like any of that. I felt it all actually made sense. It was built into the into the ethos of 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 what was going on, and. As much as, like, that cynical idea of, like, oh, they're still in the Matrix even now. Everything's bleak and horrible. Like, I don't mind movies like that. I'm glad it's not in these movies. Like, I, I actually, I've I've gone a 180 since I first saw, you know, Matrix Reloaded and uh, Matrix Revolutions. That, that the way they're here now, I think, is the, is the way I prefer. I, I really like the overarching trajectory of all three of these movies. Even if maybe at the time I didn't or at the time a lot of other people did not because i know people were some people were disappointed in this one and a lot of people were disappointed in matrix revolutions which we can get into unless you have questions or comments so well yeah it's actually kind of nice hearing you say this because i think i've heard a lot of that disappointment that like it maybe should have stopped after the first one or maybe it just needed little tweaks but it didn't land the same way um i i think i would rather hear your opinion on that than Maybe the opinions I've heard. <laughs> so sure. it's good hearing that there's uh, redemptive qualities to the directions that they take. Yeah, and I, I think part of that is I'm obviously quite a bit older since I first saw these. But the way technology has advanced, like th I think these movies were probably pretty crazy when they first came out because AI was 
I mean, still kind of just science fiction, right? We're now like, I follow AI stuff on Twitter because they make fun pictures and tweet them every day. Like, the concept of a program being a thing that's real that exists with feelings and hopes and dreams was total sci-fi bullshit that was dumb back in 2003. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like there's a trajectory there that that could be a thing. Or this fake world that's run by fake people, like... It just it's way more believable now because we've seen the the um it's a math term we're thinking exponential growth of technology. And so some of that like I just got right away like oh this is what they're talking about this is what's going on. The idea that like this program is flawed and the person who made it's kind of unhappy and so his like workaround is we have to create basically a neo every once in a while who does all this shit but ultimately we killed them because we're still the robots. And, you know, we're the antivirus. I like that. And you find out, like, the Oracle, whose predicts the future, is also part of the Matrix and basically, like, kind of friends with the architect. They don't like each other, but they, they're the, you know, the heads and tails to the same coin. And, like, these, these kind of revelations are, like, really mind-blowing and very cool. And at the time, like, I don't know if people quite got how smart they were, despite this movie's being really cornball and... A little up their own ass, if I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm not going to say, like, the Wachowskis are, like, these most brilliant, crazy visionaries. I think they're very, very good directors. They've told some very, very good stories. The movies are still flawed. But I, I do think the core ideas in them and the things they set up are actually really, really smart. And they did a good job where it mattered. And I really enjoyed my rewatch because I, I just kind of got them better, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of people really like the Matrix stuff for the cool action things where it's like they backflip off the car and then there's like 50 of them and then they're all karate chopping each other and then they fold into each other. And like, I think they're just waiting for more of that. So whenever there's talking on screen, it's like, I words, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Especially, too, like, like one of the programs they run into is, like, a language program. And he's, like, this snooty French rich guy, like, in this crazy nice restaurant. And he's surrounded by henchmen. And he know it, it's, like, basically from him that, like, language works, like, within the Matrix. Like, he's the program that runs speech. And, like, that idea to me is, I don't know, I, I loved it. Like, I found it so whimsical and fun. Like, this is, like, just such a cool piece of sci-fi. That I, I I know for a fact I did not get that back in 2003. Like, that went straight the fuck over my head. I do like the concepts, though. I, I think someone pointed out once that uh, The Matrix only works because it came out at the exact right time where just enough of the population understands enough about computers to get the concept. But a big movie hadn't succeeded with it already. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about Tron earlier and Tron was basically way ahead of its time because most of the audience doesn't know how to run a computer. So yeah. they're not getting all the computer puns that a computer programmer wrote. Like it's not super entertaining to everybody <laughs> in the matrix. It lands with a visual spectacle, but also you can get enough of the plot that pretty much the average ticket buyer is going to go like, Oh, that was cool. So, Matrix Revolutions. This is the third one. This one was 
critically panned when it came out. A lot of people didn't like it. I did not like it when I first saw it, which was probably around 2006, so a couple years after the second movie. They came out sooner than that. I just never got around to it. I did not rewatch the first two when I watched this one, so I was confused. I was bummed. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought the ending was bad. Like I did not like this movie. My rewatch after after you know going through all the first two, I actually really like this movie. This is a really cool movie. It's weirder than the first two and probably going to be a little harder to explain. So at the end of the second movie, when, when Neo affects the Sentinel in the real world, he basically goes into a coma. And Morpheus has this idea that his mind is back in the Matrix and they have to go find it. And he's right. And there's a lot of a lot more bridging of the Matrix to the real world in this movie. However, the bulk of this movie does not actually take place in the Matrix. It's kind of... Um, if you're familiar with the Hunger Games, the third the third book in that series doesn't take place in the Hunger Games, and it's kind of weird for that. And it's a bad book, not not entirely for that reason, but like it's it it feels off, right? Because you have this expectation, and then this one breaks the expectation, or like the last Harry Potter book not taking place at Hogwarts, and you're like, what the hell? The first six took place at Hogwarts, this one doesn't, and it just feels different. And I think part of the reason people didn't like this movie was because it just it was not what they expected at all. Like it is, I would say fundamentally different from the first two movies because it largely takes place at Zion or Neo and Trinity hijack a ship and are going to go to the robot like capital because he wants to stop this war and he thinks he can go do that by physically like meeting up with kind of the head AI of the robots and, and, and communicating with them. And he goes on that kind of journey. Um, the bulk of the action takes place at Zion outside of the Matrix where the robot Sentinels are invading and getting ready to destroy everything and the humans are doing their last-ditch effort to stop them. And it's a lot of practical effects. Uh, the The fight is honestly kind of stunning. It's way too long, but it is it is fucking cool. Like, there's a lot of really great action in this movie. It's just not the Matrix action you want because they're not slow punching they're not dodging bullets they're you know they're controlling mechs like which is cool but also the first time you see any of that um the philosophy stuff in it is still there it takes more of a back seat and it's really like a lot more of a love story between trinity and neo which has been seated for the first two movies this isn't like surprising but it's i would say more forefront than the first two and i think people Especially me at that younger age was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I, I'm not here for this. I liked it here. I think I think it earned its place. It, it, it was built into properly. Um, they the the road to getting to the robot area is cool because you're getting like this physical world building. They're actually getting to explore like what does Earth look like now? We're seeing more than just kind of a couple of dark passageways and, and bits of Zion like. You can see the robot city. You can see where the humans are being grown. Uh, you can see the skies all fucked up. They end up eventually going above the clouds at one point to ch to escape some stuff. And like you can see, like everything's really like bright and beautiful. Then they fall back down. Everything's dark and grim and fucked up. Like there's some really great shots there. Um, ultimately, on the trip over, they crash the ship. Trinity gets killed. Neo gets hurt really bad, but he ends up making it to the robots. And, and having this conversation and the robots are like, what, why should we, what, what, what are you doing here? What's going on? And he's like, Hey, guess what? Agent Smith, I'm the only person that can stop him. 
And uh, if you don't let me stop him, everything stops because he's literally going to destroy the Matrix and then you're going to destroy all of the remaining humans and then you're going to have nothing and you're going to, everybody's going to die. So if you promise to end the war, I will go kill Smith. And they begrudgingly agree to do it. And he goes back in the Matrix for the final fight where you find out that Smith has literally, as a computer virus, infected literally everybody in the Matrix. Everybody is now Agent Smith. There's this awesome shot. Oh, so is that... Is that why that looks like that, where there's, like, everywhere Smiths? Yeah. Okay. And and when, when um... So Neo is fighting, like, the main Smith, and it's this fucking absurd kung fu fight, and it is really fun. He eventually wins, and Smith explodes, and then it pans out and out and out, and you're seeing, like, everybody in this city is exploding, because everybody is him. And, like, the implication is, like, yeah, he took over the entire Matrix, and so by killing him... The Matrix is saved, and then the war gets stopped, and there's a, a truce, and, and the, the war is over. Um, and Neo is taken away, and it's kind of presumed that he is dead. That the, this fight killed him, but also because Trinity died, he doesn't really have anything worth living for. He's filled his position as the one, and we're good to go. The, the, the trilogy is over. And you're happy? Mm-hmm. I, I guess... Um... It's funny, too, because The Matrix, I think... Uh, when did this come out? I want to say 2003 or 2004. Because um, it's like... I know the Lord of the Rings movies were going, but it wasn't like a, a surefire thing that every single thing has to be a trilogy. Like, that wasn't the fad. But I do think The Matrix maybe helped with that. I could see that. Because it was also a successful trilogy. I, it is disappointing to see that this movie was reviewed really poorly and that people didn't like it. And I kind of get it because, like I said, it is definitely different. And I think, like, your main character is basically dying to end the war. Isn't super satisfying, even though it fits. Like, everything fits together. I, I don't I don't really question any of, like, the plot decisions in this movie. But I could see why people might not like them. Having watched them all back to back to back, I do think it works. I am satisfied with the ending of it. Um, despite all of like the love conquers all kind of thing and like this this you know hopeful romance that is in these movies, the the plot the the, the setting itself, this dystopian future is like it's just too dark for that to actually like win and have people survive. Like it just, I think if if they survived it and everything, what he was happy ever after. You'd also be disappointed because you'd be like, well, that wrapped up too cleanly for this. Like, this is kind of a fucked up setting there. And why why did they just all get a happy ending? Like, you, you wouldn't buy that either. Like, the, what what we got is kind of what we needed. Well, I think that's good then. Yeah, I, I'm, I was really, I really enjoyed my rewatch of these three movies. Great worth, great use of my time. Had a lot of fun. Really enjoyed them. I think they're great movies. That sounds like an ominous precursor. Well, so Matrix Resurrections, I like this. This is a hard movie to talk about because it's weird and kind of self-serving and kind of making fun of the reboot craze that's been going on for a couple years. Well, also, I think being a legitimately pretty good movie, like I would call it the worst Matrix movie, but it's still like a good movie. It's just the other three are better. I was trying to write some thoughts on this it's one. It's very meta. Yes. Right? So it opens up and uh, Keanu is, uh, Neo is in the Matrix. Uh, he's a game developer and 
he's known for creating this trilogy of games called The Matrix. And so and they're they're based on the first three movies. And he's depressed and he doesn't like his life, he doesn't like his business partners, and he's his therapist is prescribing these antidepressants, which are blue pills. And um he's kind of got the hots for this girl he sees at the at the coffee shop every once in a while named Tiffany, who turns out to be Trinity. And the the studio execs are demanding another matrix game it's been many years but they're like hey we're bringing back the matrix we're having another matrix game and like there's this board meeting and everybody's kind of shouting over each other what what does the matrix actually mean and all of the discourse you've ever seen online kind of appears here as these characters are just like no the matrix was about this no it was about this oh we have to have this in this movie no we need this in this movie or this video game sorry uh, to make it a, a proper sequel, you know, we, you know, people really, they just want the bullet time and the action. Like, no, it has to be really philosophical. No, it has to be about it. And it's, it's extremely meta and kind of self-serving, but also kind of funny too. Like I, I legitimately was like, what the fuck am I watching? But kind of with a smile for the first, you know, half hour to 40 minutes of this movie. Cause it was so bizarre. Like I didn't expect him to go this way. And I was talking to, to Jean-Luc and them and my, I kind of, compared it to the force awakens the star wars movie where there's a lot of like hey this this force awakens remember that first star wars movie you ever saw how fucking cool that was we're gonna do something really similar like in structure and we're gonna have a lot of things that are gonna remind you that you know it's very nostalgic but it's bigger and it's better and the force awakens is a fine movie but it feels very like constructed in a way that it wants the most people to like it like it really cares that you like it because there's going to be more and it needs to make money to justify itself and this movie doesn't give a fuck what you think about it at all it is very much doing whatever it wants to do and either you're along for the ride or you are not but it is not going to hold your hand and it is not going to ask that you care and i appreciate that but it does make it a strange movie so I don't know how real this is, but I've heard discourse from more than one source that apparently a lot of that meta stuff comes from reality. Uh, th- there's like a contract agreement that the studio has over the Matrix where, like, you know, Keanu Reeves gets to be that character. Like, if if they want to do another movie, they have to call him. And if they want to direct yeah. one, they're good. Oh, they gotta they gotta call the um the Wachowskis. They're the only ones with the rights to direct. It's part of the agreement that they get that work. That expires. And if they don't do it, then they're going to go to other places that are cheaper. So it's like, hey, we're going to do a Matrix reboot and we're going to start filming next year unless you start filming yours now. I, and I don't know how apparently some of that's like worked into the, <laughs> the script like obliquely. Oh, yeah, it's and it's kind is. of the inspiration for this. So, um, interviews with uh, with Lana, who helped write and who did direct this movie, are that I don't know about some of that. I think I think she's been a little hush hush on that publicly. Um, I believe, if I remember right, their the Wachowskis, their parents died recently, or like they you know they lost their final family member, and and so it's been a really rough time. And as part of kind of working through grief, she's like, I want to go back and write these characters because they're like family to me, and I can still be surrounded by family kind of thing. And so I think some of the contract stuff is, is true. It's definitely in the movie, like some like Keanu's of character as a game designer, like, Hey, we have to make another matrix movie. Warner brothers 
is making us do this or they're going to find someone else. So it's either you or someone else. Like that is literally a plot point in the first, you know, 10 minutes of the movie. Right. Uh, but to hear Lana uh, there, talk there's about other it, inspirations there's... behind the script, like not just drama. Yes. But I do think that stuff came from a real place. I, 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 I would agree. I would say that probably came from a real place. I didn't watch the movie. I was told this by other people. It is super YouTube in the video. movie. The um, the movie I would say it expands the lore, which is cool. Like I, I, it does really neat things. So like the idea is, hey, we've been out of this robot war for a while. Uh, Zion is kind of gone, but we have a new city called Io that has. It's bigger, it's better. They're growing actual fruit and vegetables. Like they're they're finding ways to coexist. There's actually robots that have defected from the main robot nation and are working with the humans. Um, some of the AI programs they found ways for them to like physically manifest in the real world and have like bodies. And things are kind of coming together, but there's still the Matrix is still there and not as like, people were supposed to be given a choice to leave, and that never really happened. At a certain point, like the Matrix has sort of been rebuilt and the main villain uh, who is the ar new architect of the Matrix is I want to say Neil Patrick Harris's character. I think I think that was Neil Patrick Harris that played him. I'm, I'm like 99 percent sure, but I'm bad with actors. And uh, he's keeping Trinity and Neo in the Matrix because they're basically a power source like like he can really make them add more power and, and the way they act and stuff kind of spirals. There's. It's a little unclear. Um, what worked with the first three movies is that there were very explicit rules within the Matrix that were established. And so when Neo started breaking them as like becoming the one, it made a lot more sense. Like it was a thing. Like this was set up very, very well, these building blocks. This movie doesn't have that as much. And so there's new stuff that works really well that I think is visually very cool. Um, in, the, in the first Matrix movie, if you wanted to leave, you had to find a, a phone, like a, a wired phone, and answer it, and then they could pull you out. And this, you don't need that because, I mean, we have cell phones now, right? Like, this this is a modern world matrix. Uh, how they pull you out, though, like, what what the, the criteria is aren't really explained. And so there are times where, like, it seems like it would be great if they just unplugged them and they'd be safe in the real world, not in the matrix anymore. But they can't. And I don't know why they can't. And so there are, the way the movie's kind of paced, it... it, it covers or skips over things that I think might be important because it's a long movie and there's more plot to get to. And so it's from that perspective, it's a bit more flawed. Um, it definitely hams up the relationship between Trinity and Neo as the main focus. Like he escapes, she's still stuck. He needs to go save her. And that's sort of the plot. So it's not like, in the okay. first three where they're trying to save the world and stop a war. It's really like, I want, I will, you know, the love of my life back kind of thing. So it's, it's a much smaller scale, a lot more romantic. Um, it's still like, it was a fun watch. There was cool things in it. It did not need to exist. And uh, I don't know. It's like I said, it's, it's, it's a weird movie. But... I do want to applaud them for doing something weird. Yes. They spent a lot of money that's on my something main weird. Peeve with a lot of stuff. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, like, in a way, there's, like, no real movies like it, which is cool. Like, it's definitely its own thing. And it's doing its own thing. And 
I would say my biggest complaint overall is that it doesn't have like that really awesome set of like iconic action scenes. Like the first three movies each have like a lot going for them. They're directed so well in terms of action. And this one has like the end to action scene is cool. There's some neat stuff in it. But the other ones are kind of just there or they're really referential to the early ones as sort of like, ah, nostalgia bait. Look what we're doing. We can do it too. And it's on purpose. It like serves the plot that they're playing with your nostalgia. But it's still it's still just doing that, right? Like it's not quite as good. Like you're referencing a cool fight versus giving me a new cool fight. I'd rather the new cool fight, even if referencing it makes sense in context. Um, I like the new characters a lot. I think I think uh, Bugs is is kind of the main one. She's she's got a really cool design, a lot going on. I like um, Smith kind of gets to come back. He's actually his business partner, Keanu's, and so like their relationship is, oh, is that's different. Funny. Yeah, and, the, and that was cool. Uh, the new architect uses bullet time against uh, Neo. So Neo ends up, when he goes back in the Matrix, he still can, like, kung fu fight. He's He can, like, stop bullets and stuff. But, like, some of the things that made him kind of invincible uh, are gone because this new Matrix has workarounds. Like, they, they programmed around the one, the chosen one. So he's a lot less powerful. I thought that was really clever. Uh there are certain characters from the first three that like show up again and you're like, oh shit, I didn't expect we'd ever really see these people again because they were maybe bit players or just kind of in the background and now they're like here. And so there's, it, it's paying attention to its own lore and its own world really well. Like it, it, it feels thought out. It's not like a half-assed put together movie. It's just, it's just strange. I'm glad it exists. Uh, mostly because it sounds like it can exist without kind of tainting the originals i would say so like it's kind of removed in a way i also i kind of like that neo and trinity get to have a happy ending because you find out that uh the robots basically saved them and put them back together uh so they could use them because like oh we, we can when we build a new matrix we can use trinity and neo as a form of power and like because they're you know chosen ones kind of characters and so because of that they they get to be alive again um trinity actually learns how to fly and do all the crazy matrix shit she gets to save the day kind of at the end and he and have like a, a superhero moment that neo got to have a lot in the first three movies and it there's a, a little bit of like a wish fulfillment in this where if you're disappointed with parts of the ending to matrix revolutions um you can, you have this one. You're like, yeah, well, yeah, now we give you this one. So you can have your happy ending. And is it weird? Yes. Is it a little bullshit? Maybe. Does it need to exist? No. But I wouldn't call it like offensive or anything. I I, I think it's a good movie. It's still like philosophically asking things. And, and, and it's definitely like got a lot to say about modern discourse and, you know, the Internet and social media, stuff like that. I like that it's hopeful sometimes that can be nice like hey what if this dystopian movie actually had like more hope than maybe is deserved that's cool too right we could all use that right now so on the whole i mean i i had fun with it i enjoyed it i know a lot of people did not um if you came to me like man i hated no, the fourth Matrix movie i'd be like yeah it's not for everybody 
I guess I can see why, though, because it does sound like so out of left field. Yeah. I think if it was a bit more... I think if it had just, like, one or two more, like, cool action scenes to really, like, ground itself with, it would have been a much better movie. But I don't know how you top some of the stuff, especially after... You know, it, it, like, in 2003 and 2004, right, when some of these movies were coming out, like, there are a lot of action movies that have not done something better than the first three Matrix movies. However, there are some now that have done a lot better because it's been damn near 20 years. Uh, and so to come back 20 years later and be like, I gotta create a mind-blowing action scene that no one's seen before, and it's gotta be better than John Wick, and it's gotta be better than Fury Road, and it's gotta be better than The Raid... Or, you know, whatever action movie pops into your head. Like, you, you can't just pull that out of your ass and do it. Like, that's a lot to ask of a movie. And and so the fact that it doesn't live up to that, I guess, is somewhat understandable. It's just disappointing. I want to interject with something, like, smart, but I guess I don't have anything to say. Well, we're at an hour. I guess uh, you know. Let's wrap up with some some Matrix vibes. Um, so, like as a whole, do you think that like the the Matrix as a series is good? Yes. Like, if someone just says the Matrix, do, do you go, "Oh yeah, I like that"? Yeah. Because I feel like there's a lot of series right now where it's like somebody can say Star Trek and it's like fifty fifty. Where I'm kind of yeah. like. I'll get happy, but then I'll think about it and it's like, well, wait, are you talking about the movies? I think it has the benefit of only being four movies and three of them are really, really good. And one is like slightly above fine. And so like, you know, the batting average of the Matrix movies is quite high compared to a series, you know, series that came out like when did the Star Trek came out like the 70s. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek material. Of course, not all of it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, and there's definitely like an oversaturation, like we're seeing with Star Wars, also. But yeah. Uh, so how much do you know about the Matrix Online? Almost none. So they released this MMO, and this studio, I think it's it was the first MMO, and I think the director didn't fully understand what that was. Uh-oh. I think he understood the online component, but not what MMO players expect out of MMOs. And what happens when you have a director like that is they never plan for what endgame is. Oh, no. Normally, (laughs) you you race for maximum level, and then that's when the challenging content starts. And that's when the grinding and the the, the real progression starts, once you're over the leveling. And so it was one of those where, like, they actually went out of the way to make the game more or less canon as much as they could. And like treat it serious, and they got a lot of support and stuff. And it was like they they had the pieces there to make a really cool game, but it takes like I don't know, not uh, like maybe eight hours of gameplay, and you're at max level, and you finish the story. Okay. And there's nothing to do, and when you hit max level, like you're so strong that you're like overpowered. So that you're, like, the strongest thing around. So, like, all the enemies, you can, like, dance around them. You can fly now. Like, it, it's supposed to be a rewarding moment that you you reached, like, your potential. And now you're, you're stronger than the Matrix. 
But from a gameplay standpoint, there's nothing to do. Oh. And yeah, and so it died real fast. And the the director said that he he realized too late what the players were expecting and like what an MMO is supposed to be, and he felt really bad about how it turned out because he was happy with what they did do. And a lot of people sure. say this too, that like the, the leveling part was good. It just stops. And it's like a shame that it stops. And I almost feel like that would have been an interesting take for a movie that like what happens if Neo becomes so strong that he becomes like bored with his reality the way that like Dr. Manhattan sits on the moon. Yeah, I could see that. Um, and it's like, what like, if he accidentally became his own bad guy just to entertain himself? Like, wh- what if, uh, like, you know, it's back and we have to stop the super matrix. And it turns out that it's just like, it's him playing tricks on himself out of boredom. But there's like collateral damage that he doesn't care about anymore. Or something like, not, not yeah. that this is true to the character, but I mean, like, as a concept for a story. Yeah, as a concept, I like it. And even, I think at, at a certain point, too, where... The, the the fun thing with uh, the Matrix versus the real world is like the real world fucking sucks. There's like a plot point in this. I want to say it's the second movie. It might be, no, it might be the first. It's the first. That one of the guys, he wants to go back into the Matrix, be plugged in and basically forget about the real world because he misses eating steak and having sex with women that are pretty and feeling a breeze and, and going to the beach. Like all of these things that, that we like and do watching movies, right? Like. You can't do those in the real world. Real world fucking sucks. It's a desolate wasteland and everything wants to kill you. And so he's willing to sell sell out humanity to go back in. And so you, you look at it like, hey, we stopped the war. Real world still sucks. Robots don't like us. There's not a lot we can do because the, the environment is totally destroyed and will remain destroyed for lifetimes. So you go back in. But if you're what do you get out of going back into the Matrix if you're superman right and there's nothing to fight and there's nothing to do so i I don't know i I feel like you could theoretically work that plot in based on the rules and things that have been established and and that would could be an interesting story i'm not saying it wouldn't be and i think you know different context i would probably really enjoy that story well you know what i'll uh i'll write that one down and i'll make my own matrix movie sounds like plan all right Cameron, do you have a glad space? I do. I had it written down. My phone's tripping. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't that hard to remember. Let me think. Oh, oh, you know what? Uh, the um, I I like to recommend podcasts. Yes, you do. Because I figure anyone listening to this probably just wants to fill time, right? Uh. Season two of the world's greatest con came out and I recommended season one. And it was the story about how they, uh, uh, they, they tricked Hitler with a dead body into thinking that it was like a, a carrier or a courier with like important mission orders. And they're able to like redirect all of the German army uh, under like false pretenses with this like really great bait and switch. And it's just like this truly epic story. Like it's the stuff of movies. It's unreal. Season two, they way changed the topic and the theme is game shows. And 
it is so fascinating that it's strange that these stories can be compared. Hmm. Uh, are you familiar with the game? It's called Press Your Luck. Uh, no. So, uh, there's a thing, there's like a button you press, uh, where there's like, uh, you, you see this big screen and blocks are lighting up randomly and you hit a stop button and it either stops on money and you make money or, and like a bonus prize or it lands on the whammy and you lose all your money. Uh, but you're allowed to press your luck and keep going until you lose or stop. And this guy is watching and he realizes that there's basically five pre-done patterns and it's not actually random. And he practices at home by like recording an episode and just like pausing it. And he's able to every single time get it right. Oh, wow. And there's, there's no cap either. So <laughs> he can just like keep winning consistently because he basically like figured out how the game is like how it's set up so he's able to like circumvent the rules of the game because the intent is that it's random uh that's a very interesting story there's also the story do you remember who wants to be a millionaire yeah uh but that that guy that cheated oh no how does someone cheat so it's the it's the dumbest thing okay so uh let's say uh your, your resources are um you have a a wife and her brother and they're both pretty smart uh and they because you're on the show they get to be in the audience so i want to ask you how would you cheat if these are your resources um i would say they're not actually my wife and my brother they're but no how do you get that? like how do they help you from where they're at oh i mean i guess uh, how far in the audience are they um, they, I mean, they're they're sitting in the front row, because they could like flash signs to you. You know what? At what the you know A, B, C, or D, right? Like one, two, three, four. Your fingers. Oh, so you're you're not far off. What they actually did was they would cough loudly. And oh, sure. It's it's kind of great because it's so stupid <laughs> that like it's embarrassing. Like when you hear some of the clips, it's like, um, okay, so it's either Idaho. Montana, tech. <coughs> uh, 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 you know what? I'm gonna go with Montana. Like every single time, there's just like coughing that interrupts, <laughs> and it's like obnoxious. And That's it's like, great. and and there's a couple times too where like he wins the questions. Like, okay, are you gonna go to the next question? Or are you gonna take your money now? And he says, I'm gonna keep going. And then the camera's like on his wife, and she's mouthing like, "You idiot, get out of there." <laughs> It's the best. It was, like, so embarrassing. So, th this season has been a blast. I didn't spoil everything, but the production value is really high. So, I strongly recommend World's Greatest Con, wherever podcasts are found. That that sounds pretty cool. Shit, what made me glad How this How about week? you? What's your glad space? That is a good question. I'm trying not to crutch on music because I feel like all my, my glad spaces are music like all the time. I'm such a. I don't think there's a, anything wrong with that. Probably not. What the hell else happened to me this week that was cool? It's been a rough fucking week. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm uh, sorry to hear that. 
Yeah, work's been crazy. Just just little things. I don't know. I feel like daylight savings fucks me up. I think I need to go back and munching on vitamin D a couple times a day <laughs> until I even back out. Yeah, I really hate daylight savings. Did you hear they might finally be getting away from that? Yeah, which is cool. We'll see. I'm goddamn glad. I'd like it, but we'll see. Um, you know what? I was in a bad mood today. I listened to this band called Methwitch, which is a grindcore band. Uh, let me find the album. It is titled do, 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 Indwell. It's uh came out in 2020. Methwitch is a grind. Okay, I mentioned that. But it's a grindcore band. Grindcore kind of a fucked up genre of music. We keep talking off air about listening to clowncore and doing an episode on them. They're the same genre. Uh, okay. Possibly like an accessible version of it. So, I I I legitimately enjoyed listening to to Methwitch today. It was it was kind of what my psyche needed. I wanted to listen to something really just dissonant and fucked up while I was taking notes for a meeting at nine that I didn't want to be at. Like it was the perfect pairing. So that made me glad. I I do kind of want to do an episode on Clowncore at some point, and then maybe some other homework involved. Because there are bands in this genre I do like. I don't think you will, but <laughs> might be fun to talk about, might not be something to consider. I think that sounds fun. I would say I'm trying to think what was a good good song off of here. If I was gonna recommend a Methwitch song, it would might be one of these had like actual clean vocals in it for a little bit, and it was weird, but they were good. I think it might have been Hell Slave, which is the second to last song on it. It was either that one or Burn Victim. Um, I have lyrically have no idea what any of these songs are about. They're probably unpleasant, but you can't understand most of them, so it's fine. You know, it's funny. I actually like a lot of songs where it's not in English. Uh, there's a lot of songs where when I learn the lyrics, it like takes away the magic. So it's like, nah, just I'll take the, the, the ones that I can't pronounce the words, so I'll never find out what the lyrics are. Yeah, I've still been kind of on a Bollywood kick on and off. And there was one song I found, and I was like, this song is great. I wonder what the comments are like. And most of the comments are like, man, this song has shitty lyrics. It's so dumb. They're about fucking, but in like a crude way. And I'm like, well, I don't speak. I don't speak this language, so I don't give a shit. Well, I think we had a pretty good Matrix special. I hope so. I, I enjoyed this. I, uh, I'm sorry to the listeners that you had to hear me talk. Oh, no, you did your homework on this one. I did. Wow, this uh, this Hellslave lyrics are uh, pretty depressing. Imagine that. I like the ones where it's like really heavy, like death metal kind of thing, but it's like the lyrics are funny because they're like uplifting or silly. Oh, but sure. But you can't make them out, so it's okay. Yeah, these are um, not that. Every suicide attempt becomes a running joke. They may they bring me back to this hell. I feel all the pain with no benefit of an escape. They keep me alive. But it's probably, you know, garbled noise when he says it. I can never tell when people write stuff like that because to me, there's no artistry to any of those lyrics. I, every suicide attempt becomes a running joke, I think, is a, is a decent, like, chunk to start a, a thing because that, that's powerful. The rest of this, though, is kind of just like, yeah, dude, I get it. It doesn't. Yeah. The, the, the artistry is in how it's it's how it's 
delivered, right? Like that that there's a lot of death metal and, and black metal. Like lyrically, most of it's garbage. And you're better off not understanding any of it because that's clearly not what the focus is. And I think this is this is that. But what are you gonna do? I like uh I was just thinking about a family guy gag where Joe's son came back from the Marines and uh, he wanted to share some poetry he wrote because it's really deep because he was a Marine and in a war zone. And everyone's like, yeah, we don't want to hear it. And he's like, no, 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 but I think you'll really appreciate it. And then Brian says, like, do you ever use the phrase cold as fire? And he just kind of like, like folds up the paper and puts it back in his pocket without saying anything. <laughs> That's funny. Also accurate. I wonder if I ever used that in a uh, home yeah. and thought I was fucking clever because i bet i did not gonna lie i've, I've written some shit oh, yeah poetry. no if i could go if i could go back in time to like when i was in high school it's like i would i would delete all of my poetry and stuff it's like no this is all bad you didn't learn anything from this mm-hmm. it's not even practice it's just a waste of time that that's a fact oh well that's our glad space <laughs> I remember you could be glad too. Yeah. Cameron, I'm glad you're my friend. Oh. Uh-huh. All right. Richard, I'm glad you're my listener. <laughs> we love you, Richard. Oh, Richard likes The Matrix. I bet he's seen like one or two of them. Yeah, I wonder what he'll think of this episode. Richard, write in. <laughs>